I'm excited for this morning because we're going to be talking about, in, in terms of just old theology and living in today, we're going to be talking about prayer, which is obviously something that's been around for, you know, all of humanity, and uh, it's pretty old, but just considering it in, in terms of our life now and what the implications of it and what really is, we're going to talk about what the joy of it is, but when I say prayer, um, you know, I just wonder what pops into your mind. Perhaps it's this, the whole like meditative trance state of sitting and quietly and thinking and going inside yourself and, you know, that's, or, or perhaps it's, it's the awkward silences that sometimes happen in group meetings, you know, where, hey, okay, who wants to pray? And you know what I mean, right? Yeah. Uh, or maybe it's the, the formal intonings of, you know, long words and complicated thoughts and big theological ideas. And, or maybe it's, maybe it's ecstatic outbursts of noise and emotion, you know, and that's what prayer is. Maybe in your mind and in your heart there pops up this, 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 this groaning sense of duty, obligation, even guilt. Or failure, or maybe, maybe when I say prayer, you think, ah, sweet communion with the Lord. And I think we're all aware to one degree or another that prayer is to be part of our lives as Christians. But again, if I ask, what, what would maybe be some of the things that, you know, you and I would say, well, this, this, is, this keeps me from prayer in today's day and age. Maybe it's, <clears throat> maybe it's the fact that it, it is attached to a sense of duty. And none of us like to be, you know, duty-bound to things and have that be the reason that we have to go and get it done. That's just not a great motivation. It's not a great, um, great sense of desire to then do something. Maybe it's distractions. Now, today, today is a day and age of distraction, noise, competition for attention all the time. In the elevator, in the car, there, there's music, there's radio, uh, there's, there's talk shows, there's, the, in the house, the TV is always on. Uh, it, we have computers or a phone in front of us or near us pretty much all the time, and so something dings, something pings, something rings, and we're distracted. And maybe you even have books by the toilet, and that's distracting. Maybe there's kids always pounding on the door. There's, there's always something going on, or it's easy to always have something going on. Maybe, maybe one of the things that keeps us from it is feeling like you don't know <clears throat> what to pray or how to pray. Um, just a, a sense of like, yeah, I, I want to, and I, I know I should, but I just I don't know how to start, and when I do start, then I feel like, well, I kind of run out of things, or I feel awkward. Um, Maybe, maybe it's just because we have even alternative outlets of, of expression, of communication, of interaction, right? Like if there's a situation where we need wisdom in something, what do we have? Well, we have family, we have friends, we have Google, we have YouTube, 
You know, how do, I, how do I figure out how to answer this question? Or how do I figure out how to approach this situation? I'll just Google it to see what everybody else says. How do I figure out how to respond to this, this health assessment? Oh, well, I'll Google it and see what the, the Internet says. Nobody does that, Dr. Opie. Dr. Google's a busy man. Yes, he is. You know, we're, we're, we're in, we find ourselves in a situation of stress or anger or anxiety, and it's easy to turn to something like, like social media and vent. You know, we respond to this situation by going and just blasting it out and saying, this is, I'm so upset about this, and can you believe that this happened? And here's a picture of what outrages me and that kind of stuff. Or maybe we're like, I don't like how I feel in the midst of this situation, so I'm just going to go find something to distract me. Or maybe it's a matter of this is, this is really getting my goat, and so I'm going to go and I'm going to call up my good friend. We're going to have some coffee, and we're just going to, we're going to, you know, work this over. What about situations of, of excitement or thanks? You know, something, something wonderful happens. And again, what's the, what's, the, what's the thing that we turn to? Is it Twitter? Uh, look at this wonderful thing that happened. Is, you know, thankful for this food. And so we say, hey, look at this picture of this amazing meal that I'm having. You know, and it's, uh, this, this feeling of, of excitement and even thankfulness then generates that kind of an activity or... Um, or maybe it's even just, man, this is really good. I'm really excited about this, and I'm really glad that this happened to me. And it's just, uh, just a matter of selfish acceptance is where then it stops. My goal, my goal this morning is to refresh us all in the right perspective towards prayer. And my, my prayer is that in growing in that and being refreshed in this perspective towards prayer, that we'll be blessed and conformed more to Christ together. And one of my main priorities in this, and you can see it in the outline, is that prayer is a joy. It's interesting, in both Philippians 4 and 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoicing and prayer are partners. A joyful life and a prayerful life are partners and prayer is a joy. I want us to demolish any idea or any sense or feeling that prayer is a burden or that prayer is a drudgery or that prayer is just a duty or even that it's some sort of awkward, formal, theological endeavor. Because prayer is a, is a grace, it's a gift, and it's a joy that we should embrace and eagerly incorporate into our lives. So let's pray together before we jump into the texts. Father, work in this time, I pray. Draw our hearts and our affections and our thinking towards truth and towards you. To be amazed and to be excited about the fact that we have a relationship with you such that we can come to you. So I pray that you would work now. There, there's, there's, who knows where everybody here is at in the moment in the sense of encouragement and discouragement and strength and weaknesses, all those types of things. So I pray that you, your spirit, would minister as needed in each of the hearts right now. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so the first point, and again, couching all of these in the idea of joy, right? The first point is being this prayer and the joy of talking to God. Because that's what it is. It's, it's talking to God. Look in Luke chapter 11 with me. 
The disciples ask Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. So Luke chapter 11, verse 2, Jesus says to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And then Jesus said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, he answers and says, Don't bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed, which I can relate to. Man, when my kids are asleep, I don't want anything to wake them up. But I cannot get up and give you anything. Verse 8, I tell you that even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And this is an argument from lesser to greater. Verse 9, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now, suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And, and I mean, there, there's, there's multiple aspects of prayer in that passage. But my point in, in reading that one to you is to realize who you're talking to. Prayer is talking to your Father. We are, as we've been learning, we're, we're adopted, right, as children of God. And to be able to come before God and talk to your Father. Father, here's my heart. Father, here's what I'm feeling. Father, here's what I'm asking for. And again, like the end of that passage says, look, if we, being evil people, have a tendency to be kind and good and gracious to our children, right? Like he said, if, I, if my son asks for an egg, I'm not very likely to give him a scorpion. And I'm an, I'm an, I'm an evil wretch. And so lesser to greater, think of who you're talking to and God's own disposition towards you. What a blessing. What a grace. What a joy to be able to talk to God who is our Father. And what I think, and, I, and I'm going to kind of like, we're talking about both the realities and the theologies, and I'm just going to immediately go into some of the implications, right? Because old theology, this is not new stuff, but what about now? Okay, so now what I want us to think of is that that influences how we pray, it influences the words that we pray. We don't have to impress God with our words. We don't have to impress him with our perfectness in prayer. We don't have to impress him with our life before we pray. We're, we just talk to God as our Father. And, and the Lord gives us patterns of things to pray about, and he gives patterns of, of why you ought to come before God in prayer and all those types of things. But, but I think sometimes there's this sense of, like, I have to sound a certain way for my prayer to be right. And the only way that you should sound as you pray is you should sound as if you're talking to your Father. 
All right, so there's a joy of talking to God. It's, it's a conversation. Prayer is a conversation. And sometimes you're praying in front of people, and so you're having a conversation with somebody who other people are listening to and maybe agreeing with, you know, in, in kind of a group prayer context. But prayer is a conversation between you and your Heavenly Father who has given His own Son in death and in atonement to ransom and to reconcile you to Himself as His child. And that's the foundation for, for, uh, for upon which we go before God to pray. What a sweet, gracious, lack of expectation foundation that is. Just go and talk to God. And that also then informs how we pray in front of people. When we pray in front of people, you know, whether it's care group or in church or in a prayer meeting or... Uh, <clears throat> when you're praying, you know, just, just here, two or three or together in, in the aisles, in the foyer, whatever, when you're praying to God with someone, again, you're, you're talking to God. So you remember the audience, right? You're talking to God. You're praying with someone, and they're there with you to listen in and to agree and to affirm and to pray with you. But ultimately, your audience is God. You're not there to impress anybody that's around you. You're not there to impress God. You are there to avail yourself of the grace and the joy of talking to your Father. What a joy. Number two, prayer and the joy of affecting our hearts. All right, look over in uh, Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to read verse 14 because this is one of my absolute favorite passages in the Bible. But verse 16 is where we're really going, okay? But verse 14, chapter 4, verse 14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, here's prayer, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Why? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have the, the opportunity to affect our hearts in any and every situation that we find ourselves, how do we affect our hearts? By drawing near to God. In any and every circumstance, in any and every situation, God is available, whether we're weak, whether we're struggling, whether we're angry, whether we have sinned, whether, whether we're excited and ready to praise, whatever the case, God is available for us to draw near and invites and wants us to draw near because of the shed blood of Jesus, because of the sympathetic high priesthood of Jesus. And we have that opportunity then to affect our hearts by doing that if we need help in our hearts to draw near to God to find that grace to help. What a blessing. James 1.5, right? We're all very familiar with that. If you lack wisdom, well, Google it. No. If you lack wisdom, what? Ask of God. Right? If your heart is struggling and saying, I don't know what to do, I don't know what the right response is, I don't know how to move forward, 
affect your heart by praying. By availing yourself of that relationship to God, our Father. So let's look, let's look in uh, Psalm 42. Psalm 42. We're going to start in verse 1, but I want you to especially think of verses 4 to 6 as we get there. Psalm 42 says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Okay, listen to the state of his heart right now. My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Oh, my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Mitzar. This is a man who's eating his tears because of grief and pain and suffering. This is a man whose, whose heart is in turmoil, whose heart is in extreme pain. And what does he say? Oh, my soul, let's go to God. Unload that burden before your father. You know, Peter tells us to cast your anxieties upon God. Why? Because he cares for you. So in, in times of, of extreme pain and emotional or spiritual agony, physical hardship, if you want your heart to be affected, you have the best way to do that immediately available, no matter where you are. Prayer. What a gift. What a joy. Um, let's, let's look over in uh, Nehemiah. Ezra Nehemiah. Nehemiah... Um, Nehemiah is just a really interesting little example here. He hears news that uh, the Jerusalem's just been sacked and burned with fire and, uh, and looks horrible and it's destroyed. And Nehemiah in verse 4, hears, he said, When I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, I beseech you, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I'm praying before you now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I and my father's house, we have sinned. And he goes on. 
but the whole point is his soul is in agony. His heart's in agony because of something that has happened to his people and how life is going. And what's his response? Oh, God, hear my prayer and look to your people. He goes to God. He doesn't do what I have been so often first immediately prone to do, which is, what can I do about this? Right? Ah, oh, man, I, I'm, I'll figure it out. I've got an answer to that. I can come up with something. No, he says, my heart is burdened. My soul is, is in pain. And God, I need you. I need you to work. Let's look over in chapter 2. Really interesting. He, he, he goes and he takes the cup to the king and they're having dinner. Hey, he's the cup bearer and so he's attending the king in the midst of dinner and the king says, oh, your, your face is sad. What's going on? And so verse 3, chapter 2, verse 3, Nehemiah says to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? Then the king said to me, what would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I said to the king, if it, I, love, I love that. He's having a conversation with a human, right? He's talking to the king and he has an opportunity to have a momentous impact in the life of his people. Because the king would be the foremost power in, in humanity at that point in time. And the king is asking, what, what do you want to do? And so Nehemiah in the moment says, hang on, king. And he, he kneels down and he, oh, no, 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 no. He just says, so I prayed to God. And then boom, he starts talking to the king. I love that. His heart, I'm sure, was suddenly just fluttery, nervous, anxious, excited. And so what does he do? He, 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 he gives this moment to God. And I don't imagine it was much more than Yahweh, help me. <laughs> and then he starts talking to the king. Right? I love it. I think to me, and we're going to get there, this is a little bit of an example of what it means to just pray always. You know, just, just be in contact with the Lord in the midst of life and in the midst of circumstances, but we'll get there. Um, but that, that example right there of just his, taking his heart in the midst of some sort of interaction that, I mean, again, the king, if he had any displeasure in Nehemiah for this, he'd just have him killed. So Nehemiah prays to the Lord and talks to the king. And he takes his heart in the midst of that circumstance and he takes his heart and he puts it before the Lord and then he moves on in life. I just love that. But see, we, we, we have so many circumstances that we find ourselves in where it's like our heart is doing something, you know, and it could be any myriad of things, but our heart is doing something and we look to many different avenues with which to affect our hearts. We look to distraction. We look to entertainment. We look to um, finding joy in something different, whether it's food or pleasure or comfort or company or uh, any myriad of things. But it even brings up to mind like the, the fact that if prayer affects our heart, then what's the best antidote to the times when we don't feel like praying? Prayer. If you want God to affect your heart, and maybe your heart is not inclined towards prayer, well, make the choice to ask God to affect your heart. But how about when we, like we already talked about a little bit, when we respond to life and situations, when our heart is 
When our heart is anxious about an interview, when our heart is anxious about a court date, when our heart is grieved by, and, 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 and tempted to bitterness by the sin that somebody has committed against us, what do we do with that? Do we pray or do we post? Do we, do we tweet or do we talk to God? Do we phone a friend or do we talk to God? Well, what's going to affect our hearts? The first and foremost way to affect our hearts is to pray. Because that puts us into contact and communion with God who works his spirit in our lives. So when you find yourself in a situation where your heart needs to be affected or changed or tweaked or you, you need your heart to be guided in its response to something, then, then, then slow down, step back and assess where, where am I looking to to, to to get my heart and its response or its state affected rightly? Am I looking to the people around me? Am I looking to... Um, to digital things around me? Am I looking to um, worldly aspects around me to then affect my heart? If so, then, then we've missed our first and greatest joy and means of affecting our hearts, which is prayer. My suggestion for, for this in the midst of just life in the days is if we're looking for prayer to affect our hearts, then we want our hearts to be affected by truth, right? And so if you've never done this, here's what I would encourage you to do. If you're wrestling with a certain situation and how your heart's responding, then try to find a, a, a scripture passage, okay, that deals with this situation. If you're wrestling with anxiety or uh, uh, struggling with how someone has treated you or, or, or just excited about something, whatever, find a scripture passage that, that speaks to that and then take that passage and pray through that passage to God. Does that make sense? So like if you're struggling with, with feeling attacked or feeling mistreated or whatever the case, then take Psalm 42, for example, and pray through that. God, I long for you. God, I feel like I am just getting pounded here by, by people, by circumstances, by my boss, by, by the government, by whatever. And, you know, and, and then you go on, and Lord, I need you, my, I'm grieved, and you, and you pray, you take those truths, and you pray to God based upon those truths. And as you pray those truths to God, man, your heart gets changed. Your heart gets impacted because the Holy Spirit uses your prayers and, and the, 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 the truth of God's word to just minister to your hearts. So if you've never tried that, like, like taking a, a passage and praying that passage through your life to the Lord, I highly recommend it. It's a great way um, to have your hearts affected. And I also think it's one of the greatest ways, you know the, the verse in Colossians that says, set your mind on things that are above and not on things that are on earth? That can be pretty difficult sometimes, if, if I'm being honest with you, in terms of just like the, the, the pragmatics of life, like... You're coaching your kid's soccer game. How do I set my mind on things that are above? I'm trying to keep Johnny from, like, you know, fouling out or whatever. 
But, but praying in the midst of circumstances reminds you of before whom you live. You know, so as you, as you drive to somewhere, as you respond to something, living before it and, and, and praying to God, um, living in a, in a state of communion with the Lord and praying to God in the midst of those situations is one of the greatest ways, I think, to set your mind on things that are above. You find yourself in a situation of temptation. If you genuinely go and take that temptation and actually pray, fabulous way to combat temptation. Super hard to say, amen, I'm going to sin. So if we need your hearts affected, man, what joy and effectiveness is there in prayer? It's amazing. Uh, Number three, prayer and the joy of recourse. Let's look back in James. James chapter 5, starting verse 13, it says, Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises, which is one of my favorite expressions of prayer, with melody. Right? But, but singing praises is prayer. It's just sung. You know, your, your vocal inflections change a little bit and sustains and... The Lord doesn't care about the quality of your melody. He just, you know, wants you to sing. Is anyone among you sick? Verse 14. Then he must call for the elders of the church and there to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 15. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who's sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they'll be forgiven him. Verse 16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And then it goes into the example of Elijah's prayer and how that affected much. The point is, though, prayer affects things. Like it affects life. And this is really the truth. This is really the reality. I think, at least for me, it's easy, it's easy to, to give too many caveats sometimes. You know, to, at least mentally, to say, well, I don't, I don't really know. I mean, th- this might not be God's will, so I'm just going to give all sorts of caveats and not really, like, expect something to be done. I'm not going to expect that God is going to actually work because I don't really know what God's will is, and so I just kind of lay it out there and sort of hope that something happens. But, but there is an effectiveness, and there is an impact that prayer has on life and how life goes. All right? If you think of uh, the, the illustration in, not illustration, the example in Genesis 18, and how uh, God and Moses are talking we're talking about Sodom. And in talking to God, Abraham affects what God does. Don't ask me to answer how God's sovereignty and the impact of prayer intersect. Okay? I don't know how, but I know that neither one negates the other. And, and, and in talking to God... Abraham affects the outcome. 
The illustration in James talks about Elijah prayed and there was no rain. And then Elijah prayed and there was rain. And, and he doesn't say this was in the sovereignty of God and it was always God's plan and so Elijah just sort of kicked off God's sovereign plan and we know that underneath it God is sovereign. But what it says in its, in its encouragement to you and I to pray in the midst of circumstances is that prayer avails. Prayer impacts. And that's, that's the lesson that James wants the, the, the reader to, to take away from that passage, is that prayer affects things. If we look in Ephesians chapter 6, 18, it says, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for the saints. And then listen to what Paul says in verse 19, And pray on my behalf, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul says, pray for me because your prayers will impact me. It, 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 it impacts life. And I, I think it's, it's, an it's been an encouragement to my heart to remember that this is, this is not just an exercise in obedience. This is, this is a joy, a, a joyful opportunity of having recourse. Recourse meaning that we're never helpless. We're never helpless. Okay? You could be physically limited by resources, by capabilities, by age. You could be limited in any sorts of ways, and yet you have access to the most amazing influence and power you could ever imagine. And it's prayer. Are you surrounded by an impossible enemy? You can pray to the Lord of hosts. Are you surrounded by, are you facing an incurable cancer? You can pray to the God who created your body. Are you feeling utterly abandoned and lost? You can pray to the Savior who promised to never leave you nor forsake you. And all those things will and can and do impact life. And there's difficulty in this. Okay, but the reflection of our belief in the effectiveness of prayer is reflected and mirrored in whether we do or do not pray. Right? We, we can maybe, and this is what I don't want us to be, we can say, yeah, 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 God wants us to pray. Yeah, 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 prayer's there. But then we live our life prayerless. That shows that we don't really believe what God says about prayer being important and prayer having an impact. Verse, not verse, number four, prayer and the joy of emulation. Luke 5, 16. Luke 5, 16. Just a, just a short verse, but Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Jesus himself would often, on a regular basis, on an ongoing basis, slip away by himself to pray. 
If we want to be like Jesus, we should pray. If we don't want to be like Jesus, then we have other problems. But if we want to be like Jesus, then let's pray. <clears throat> How do you make decisions? When Jesus was figuring out who to choose for the, for the 12, what did he do? He went away and he prayed. Be like Jesus and pray over decisions before you make them. I recently realized I was considering a decision completely in my own mind, and I had to give myself a mental spanking and like set myself down to just pray about this and confess. Lord, I was, I was thinking this all the way through and trying to figure out the pros and the cons and should I and shouldn't I, and I, I hadn't even talked to you yet. Forgive me, give me wisdom, help me to think well, help me to be discerning, and, uh, because I want to be like my Savior. How do you face temptation and emotional agony? Think of what Jesus faced in the Garden of Gethsemane. What did he do? White knuckle it and get through it? No, he went and he prayed and he, he, un, he unburdened his heart before the Lord and he cast himself before God in prayer. Be like Jesus. Donald Whitney says one of the main reasons for a lack of godliness, which is being like Jesus, is a prayerlessness. If you want to be like Christ, pray. And if you struggle with prayer, then do what Paul says. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. All right? And pray with one another. Go to somebody and say, hey, I want to pray, but I don't really feel like I know how. Can you, can you help me? I'll, let me just pray with you and let me learn from your prayers as I hear you talk to God and what that means and what that looks like. And disciple one another in those things. That can be in formal times. That can be in informal times. Number five. Because I don't want to forget that I'm supposed to be done in four minutes. <laughs> Prayer and the joy of obedience. I heard uh, last week, I think it was, that Dr. Johnson tied the, uh, the Johnson last name to a tendency to go long in Sunday school, which, yeah, I've got to get over that. Number five, prayer and the joy of obedience. <clears throat> um, Luke 18 says, well, Jesus just commands his disciples to pray. Okay? Uh, look over in Colossians 4. You know what? I'm just going to let you read those verses. Colossians 4 says pray. 1 Thessalonians 5 says pray always. <laughs> okay? These, these are imperatives. And that's, that sometimes, I think, is something that we forget. It's a, it's a joyful obligation. Hence the joy of obedience. To pray always, the idea is just to, to live in a devotional frame of mind. Spence, commentator Spence, says it's impossible to be always on our bended knees, but we may pray in the spirit of prayer when engaged in the duties of our earthly calling. Prayer may be without ceasing in the heart which is full of the presence of God. There's a certain problem with the idea of prayer and the, and the, and the, the problem is the word enough. The, there's a problem with that word and I think it especially relates to prayer because <clears throat> we all admit, you know, and Pastor Rick has said, if you want somebody to feel guilty, preach on prayer or preach on evangelism because none of us do it enough and that's the sense that we all have, right? <clears throat> but there's a false expectation in that. 
The false expectation is that if I do it X number of minutes a day, then that actually satisfies it, and that truly is enough. But the point is not to set some arbitrary limit where then, okay, you've satisfied your quota of prayer for the day, so then you're done, and now you can feel good about yourself. That's not the point. Enough just needs to go out of our vocabulary, and instead of saying, I don't do this enough, or I do do this enough, we should just say, I ought to be about this. And then it's not a matter of legalistic obligation. It's not a matter of guilt creating failure so much as it is a matter of becoming excited about a gift of joy that God has given to us. So if the word enough is in your vocabulary when it comes to prayer, I'd encourage you to just put that out of your, out of your mind and out of your heart. And to be realizing this is not a matter of meeting a certain quota. It's a matter of of being about it. Of, of prayer being a, a delight instead of a duty. Whitney, in Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, says this means too little time when it, when it says prayer, um, pray without ceasing. This means too little time, too many responsibilities, too many kids, too much work, too little desire, too little experiences, etc. Don't exempt us from the expectation to pray. God expects every Christian to be devoted to pray and to pray without ceasing. But I think the truth, what we'll find, is that ongoing prayer is actually more feasible than we think at first. And that the greatest hindrance to our obedience and our joy in prayer is actually our own forgetfulness. The greatest hindrance, I think, is actually our own lack of intentionality, our own lack of awareness, our own distractibility. Okay, couple that with the fact that maybe, there's, maybe there needs to be growth in, in realization of who it is that we're talking to You know, the greater your God is, the greater your love for the Lord, the greater your heart will be drawn towards remembering to pray. But I don't think it's a a matter of the fact that some of us are literally too busy to pray. I think we just need to remember more, to give ourselves reminders and to encourage each other in these things. And if we are mindful of those things, then I think we'll find that it's more feasible and that there's a tremendous amount of joy that then is derived from that. So, let's be people of prayer. Be mindful of how you live. This ancient truth can have tremendous impact in your life when you wake up tomorrow, when you leave here and start driving home. You know, it's not just at lunch, breakfast, and dinner. It's, it's just, it's devotion and communion and contact with your Father in times of sorrow, in times of joy, in times of temptation, in times of victory, whatever the case, you can and we should be connected to the Lord. So be mindful of how you live your life. Be mindful of what your attitudes towards prayer are and what obstacles maybe cause you to reach the end of your day prayerless and pray as you go about your day. Know that no element of life is too small to be lived in the presence of God. Pray with each other. Be quick to pray together here. After Sunday school, if you, need, if you want to pray with somebody, just, just stop and pray. Nobody's going to look at you funny. It's okay to bow your heads and pray together out in the foyer. It's wonderful to pray. In your small groups, it's a joy to be able to talk to your father together. 
over the phone. Make an appointment. Sit at a coffee shop. Pray. Make people look at you weird. It's great. Guys, when you go hunting, pray on the way. Pray in the midst of it. The animals don't come around that much, so you have time. Pray, pray when you're eating food. But, but my, my, my point in my prayer here is just for us to remember that God's given us a sweet gift meant to connect us to him and to have an incredible ministry to our hearts.